Your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 10. So we've been working over this last section of the chapter. Uh, We find ourselves in verse 26 today. Uh, We said a few weeks ago that this is kind of a pivotal verse. It, It sort of stands alone that the verses that are just before it, 23 through 25, we saw their connection with regard to it is a sport to a fool to do mischief. That's where we've been. Now we have this verse that sort of stands alone in verse 26. And then we have 27 pretty much through the end of the chapter in contrasting the righteous and the wicked. So here we have this one verse on the sluggard. Let's go ahead and read Proverbs 10.26. Here now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes so is the sluggard to them that send him. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. We have been profiting as well from uh, the commentary on the book of Proverbs from the Reverend Charles Bridges. Let's hear what Bridges has to say about verse 26. A lively figure of the vexation of the sluggard to his employers. Suppose a fire to be extinguished Medical assistance needed. A message of urgent haste to be conveyed. He is worse than unserviceable. Common prudence dictates the selection of active and industrious servants. At such, oh, and such, when influenced by godly principles, they are worthy of double honor. Does them the sluggard disappoint and provoke his earthly master? See that we be not such sluggards, To our heavenly master. Men born of the Laodicean church are especially hateful in his sight. The slothful minister carries in a tremendous account to him that sent him. No more pitiable object is found than the man who has time to spare. And who has no object of commanding interest. And is going on to the end as if he had spent his whole life in children's play and have lived for no useful purpose. He may probably have parceled out a portion of his time for some miscalled religious duty, but he might as well be asleep as on his knees, in dissipation as meditation. So little pain, so little heart is connected with his duties. Why standeth he idle in the marketplace? It cannot be that no man hath hired him. His master's call sounds in his ears. Go ye into the vineyard. And at his peril he disobeys it. Hmm. Don't hold back, Reverend Bridges. Tell us how you feel. (laughs) Well, it's a hard word. And yet what Solomon has here is a hard word as well, isn't it? We come now to to a new section in our passing through Proverbs 10 verse 26 speaks to the sluggard and he's a character we have seen before in our study we saw him in chapter 6 didn't we in verses 6 and 9 we saw the sluggard there in verse 6 we saw that the sluggard was counseled to go to the ant and to learn her ways and when we studied this we spoke of temporal diligence which is important But also, more importantly, we spoke of a spiritual diligence, didn't we? And we we spoke also of idleness and how Solomon praised the ant for her diligence, gathering winter's food in summer, preparing ahead, laying up in store, in the sense what we spoke of last week, wasn't it? When we talked about considering the ends of our actions. It seems like the ant, without thought, without a brain, without a mind, if you will, knows to prepare for what's coming. Do we? And so the sluggard in 6.6 6 of Proverbs is, is counseled to go to the ant. And what a humiliating thing that must be to a man such as a sluggard or to any of us if one would say to us, go learn from the cockroach. 
we might consider them fighting words. And yet, in the wisdom of God, by the Spirit of God, Solomon counsels the sluggard to go to the ant to learn her ways. Then in verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 6, we looked at the, the sluggard's love of sleep, which is put for idleness, for anything except diligence and excellence and industry. We saw that he looked at using inconveniences as excuses not to labor. Right? There's, there's something standing in my way, no matter how big or how small it is. I can't, I just can't be diligent here, you know, because, like the old joke, it's going to get dark tonight. Well, why does that stop you? Well, it doesn't really. But when you don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another, right? Yeah. And we saw also that he does not consider his latter end either, this sluggard of 6-9. So now we come with that background to a very descriptive passage penned by the king as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. What does this mean? Children, I want you to pay attention for, for just a minute. Some of you enjoy, don't you? I know you do because I've seen you doing it. You like uh, when it's cool, like, you know, in, in the fall and maybe even in the winter. You like to go out in your backyard and you want dad to light a fire and you sit around the fire. And, you know, maybe you get marshmallows out or maybe you roast some hot dogs and you have a nice meal outside and everybody's getting hungry and pining for that smell of smoke. I get that, right? But what happens, you know, and you'll see this take place. Because very often when you light a fire, the wind behaves itself in strange ways. And so you'll, you'll have this prevailing wind on one side, and so you sit on the opposite side, so it blows the smoke away from your face, right? And then what will happen? The wind will change. I don't know how it does and how it knows, but it knows right where you are, doesn't it? And what happens? Pretty soon you're sitting there and, you know, maybe you're relaxing a little bit. Oh, this feels good. The fire's warm. It's dark. It's cool. But the fire is good. And then suddenly it's like. And that smoke, it just gets in your eyes and it makes your eyes water and burn. And so you pick up your chair and you move it a quarter way around the fire or maybe two thirds away around the fire. And then what happens? Five minutes later, you're doing the same thing again. You're getting that smoke in your eyes. Is that pleasant? Is it pleasant to have that smoke in your eyes? How many people do you know that will sit there in the smoke with it blowing in their face and they're going like this? Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> Nobody's doing that, right? Everybody's moving. And the chairs just seem to go round and round and round the fire all evening long, right? Because smoke in the eyes is not pleasant. I remember one day I was working with my father in the backyard of his home, I was putting in a panel, and he was, he used to smoke cigarettes, my dad. I don't recommend that. And uh, so he had, <laughs> it was funny, because people that smoke cigarettes, they have to put them, themselves in all kinds of contortions to keep doing that thing, you know. And so he had this cigarette, and, and he, was, uh, he was holding something for me while I was uh, d doing something on his electrical panel, and you could see the smoke just curling up, and it was just drilling right into his eye and he was going like this and the water was just coming out of his eye you okay dad oh yeah i'm fine i don't think you're really okay dad you know there are things like that that we see it smoke in the eyes it's just it's a horrid thing it hurts it stings it burns you can't see no one will say i'm fine when it comes to that now there's another thing here it's not quite perhaps as familiar to us although i do know some of you or want to, you know, take some vinegar from time to time. Still, um, when, when you do that, what does it do to your teeth? How do your teeth feel when you put vinegar in your mouth? It's got this edgy, kind of acrid, it feels like, you know, your teeth could maybe, uh, you know, saw a log off or something. You know, it's just, it, it feels, well, it's not pleasant. It's like vinegar in the teeth, and it's like smoke in the eyes when a man, a person that is a sluggard, a layabout, an idler, 
a lazy person, someone who is careless and irresponsible when they're sent on an errand to do something. This is worse than typical disappointment. Beloved, this is smoke in the eyes and vinegar in the teeth. This is something that we can all, reading this passage, we're going like this, aren't we? And we're, because we can feel that. Solomon is very descriptive here in his language. And he's, he's pulled up some metaphors that we can get behind so that he will understand not especially how this sluggard appears in the eyes of him that sent him, but in the eyes truly of the one who sends us on our duty. It's like vinegar in the eyes. No, sorry, smoke in the eyes. And vinegar to the teeth. Well, I want to make sure you're listening. So, beloved, this first thing that we want to say is that um, this, is, this is exceptionally tragic. It's grievous in its circumstance for a few reasons. The first is the missed opportunity. The sluggard cannot be trusted with important work because of his sloth. And so when all others are booked up and he alone is left to do some work or other, These masters of his will hold their nose and they'll call upon him fully expecting that it will end disastrously, but they have no other choice. They have no other way to go. And so it's it's this missed opportunity. He has wasted a wonderful opportunity through his sloth and inattention to duty in his love of ease and sleep. Beloved, in every task or labor, you are given an opportunity and a blessing from the Lord. Let us remember some of these passages that speak to us. Speak to that. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verse 18. Behold, that which I have seen... It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. So, beloved, there's something to be said in that passage. We want to remember our Puritan fathers and the work ethic that they left us. But not because they were Puritans, but because they were biblical. They taught us to work. They taught us to labor unto the Lord. They taught us to labor in such a way that God would be pleased to bless the work of our hands. And beloved, that's a gift from God. That's what Solomon says. And so, may I say it this way. Rather than being vinegar to the teeth and smoke in the eyes of those that send us, we should be indeed zealously protective of our labor before God because it is his gift. We live in a day when labor is... uh, is insulted. We live in a day when when work, uh, as one popular man has said, we have declared a war on work in our country. We have believed that everyone, uh, and you know, I mean, how many commercials have you seen uh, on the internet or on television or have you heard on the, uh, on the radio, if, if you're still listening to those things? How, how is it that, um, how many of them will show someone laboring hard and taking satisfaction in it. Well, I say, the vast minority of them. Normally, commercials are set up to make you think that people spend their lives on a perpetual vacation. Walking down the sidewalk, stopping at the cafe, shopping, having money to spend they've never earned because they've never worked. Right? Children, your parents give you chores for particular reasons. 
so that you will learn responsibility at a young age. Um, may I say it this way, children? Your chores are the gift from God. They're a gift from God that he has given you. So don't complain at them. That would be like to say, uh, God, you've given me this, but I hate it. And who would dare say that to God knowingly? Well, children, now you know. You know what it is to complain about your chores. You know what it is to uh, complain to your parents that they've just given you too much work or that this is an unpleasant job and so on. Oh, I don't want to go clean up after the dog. That's unpleasant. Or you can say, God has given me work here and I'm going to excel. The sluggard has missed an opportunity. He's missed an opportunity for his own soul to rejoice in the, in the labor that God has given to him. Rather, he says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. I'll be distracted. On the way, on the errand that my masters have sent me on, what I'll do is I will turn aside, I'll be distracted, I'll be late, or I won't arrive at all. I will be like smoke in their eyes and vinegar in their teeth. But know this, that the smoke and the vinegar do not end with them. That ascends up before the face of God. Labor is God's gift. We live in a country, we live under a government that believes they have the right because government likes to uh, accede to itself the prerogatives of God to tell people that they don't have to work and they will provide for you instead. Where God has told you that he will provide for you through your labor. And he will give you the promotion that you need because it doesn't come from north, south, east, or west. It comes from him. That's what God has taught us in his word. But our government says, no, you don't have to work. We'll pay you instead. You stay home and enjoy your leisure. Become idle. Become indolent. Become good for nothing. Become a smoke in the eyes and vinegar in the teeth of all your relations. Yep. That's where we're at in our country. So, beloved, swim against the stream. Rejoice in your labor. It is God's gift to you. And I will say this, that um, the, we cannot speak for God universally because God does what he's doing outside of our purview and the majesty of his providence is not something we can understand. But all other things being equal, God will take care of you if you're taking care of your labor. All other things being equal. You can trust God's promise that he will provide for you if you're Uh, taking the labor that he's put into your hands and you're performing it diligently. That rather than smoke in the eyes and vinegar to the teeth, you become that go-to person for uh, for your employers, for those who would call upon you. You protect their interest. You work hard. You glorify God in your lawful calling. You pursue that lawful calling with all lawfulness and holiness, seeking in any moral dilemma to get that answered so that you can serve God in your calling rightly and the Lord will respond most likely in, all, in almost all cases with providing handsomely for you. And just as a practical matter, young men, let me tell you that you have a great opportunity to distinguish yourselves from others that were raised on video games and learned not to work all their lives. Some have made a way to make video games their living. <laughs> I don't I just can't, I can't fathom that. That doesn't compute with me. That doesn't compute in a biblical worldview. In a biblical worldview, we provide a service to someone and someone remunerates us for that service that we have provided. And those, those clever types who see where people want service, they provide that service. They get out there in front of the service that is needed so that in all lawful endeavors, the Lord blesses them. So let's not be afraid of work. Let's not be, you know, let's, let's, let's take that, like we heard a couple of weeks ago, here's your Benadryl against your allergy to work, <laughs> right? Take that and take labor to yourself and work. Whether that's outside the home, 
Ladies, I haven't excluded you from this discussion. You're as involved in that as being homemakers as the rest of us, probably even more so. Labor. Do your work to the glory of God and be contented and satisfied with it. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Interesting meditation with regard to Colossians 3. So you'll remember that Ephesians and Colossians are parallel passages with regard to the domestic relations, right? So Paul will talk about fathers, sorry, husbands, wives, fathers and mothers, and then slaves. This is the domestic relationship of the first century. And Paul simply walks through that and tells people how to order their families under the commands of God. So, interestingly, in Colossians chapter 3, notice the discussion, first of all, in verse 17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now watch. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as it is fit in, in the Lord. One verse. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. One verse. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. One verse. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. One verse. Now notice, 22, 23, 24, 25, 4, 1. All of that has to do with masters and servants. In other words, there's an imbalance in the attention that is given here in Colossians chapter 3. And the bulk of that attention is given to slaves or servants in the household. Interestingly, this is the book or this is the church where a runaway slave met Paul in Rome and was returned to his master, Philemon. So perhaps Paul knew a little something about what was going on in the Colossian church regarding the attitude of servants. So Paul spends a little bit more time to the Colossian church speaking to them about proper service. So listen to what Paul says. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God. Now you might say, well, Pastor Todd, we're far beyond slavery. We've evolved past slavery as a society. Well, we could have a very long conversation on that. Slavery is still alive and well among this society in this country. It's just changed its shape. But we don't have to really go down that discussion. Let me say this. If you want to apply this with employers and employees, that's okay. You can, you can make proper application here. Okay? <clears throat> but notice what he says. Obey in all things, that would be all lawful things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. You're not pleasing them. <coughs> but instead with, ap, uh, ap, what's the Greek word? Aplotes. It means sincerity, singularity, unmixedness. With singleness of heart, fearing God. Notice who the ultimate client is. Of your labor is. You say well I don't have employees and employers. I'm a, I'm a single proprietor of a business. Believe it or not my friend. If you have your own business. Your boss is your customers. You still have a boss. But more than that. You have a master in heaven. And all of your labor is to be done. As Paul says here. Not with eye service as men pleasers. But with singleness of heart. Fearing God, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. And then notice this last sentence. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Now you may have immediate master there. And that's fine. It's okay to, have, it's okay to work for someone. I know there are some Christians out there saying, you, you shouldn't be working. You should have your own business. You shouldn't be working for someone else. You should have your own business. That's not true. It's okay to work for someone. You could be a slave in the first century and be under someone's yoke and still be a, a devout Christian. 
But you must remember in your labor that in all your labors, you only have immediate boss here upon the earth. Truly, you serve the Lord Christ. And when Paul would say, you serve the Lord Christ, we know that that is a part of your Christian calling under Christ as mediator and head. Okay? So, it is very clear then that he that doeth wrong, in verse 25, shall receive the wrong for which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So if we do wrong in our service, if we become lazy, layabouts, idlers, if we waste our master's goods, if we waste our time that he's paying for, and so on, remember that the Lord watches over that too. So the sluggard number one has missed a wonderful opportunity. His opportunity is to serve God in the errand that he's been given. And instead, he becomes a smoke in the eyes and a vinegar to the teeth of those who sent him. And that is as displeasing to God, if not more so, because God is infinitely offended at our sins, than it would be with those earthly or immediate masters. So you see the importance then that the Bible attaches to work. But there's a second tragedy in this scenario and that is that this is what the sluggard is to these men in other words he has lost all his testimony he's lost his reputation if they call on him at all it will only be because they have no other person to call on and they can't do it themselves and so they'll risk once again running the gamut of having smoke in their eyes and vinegar in their teeth. Because to call upon this man, according to his reputation, is to set yourself up for a fall. And beloved, may I say it very directly? Many Christians have destroyed their Christian testimony through their idleness and lack of loving their work as a gift from God. So there is a destruction of testimony that, it, that also takes place here for the sluggard. And so those who have sent him do not think well of him. They have by experience suffered under his sloth and idleness. Oh, beloved, this is a reputation that we should run from as Christians. In everything we are to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ and especially in our labor. Peter will talk a lot about this, won't he? We'll not take the time to turn there, but let's just do a, do a little bit of paraphrastic work. Peter will say, now let none of you suffer as an evildoer. Right? Don't suffer as an evildoer. Don't, um, don't be edgy and silly and then when, when you suffer for it, say, oh, it's because I'm a Christian. No, don't make it like that. But if you suffer, make sure that it is for, your, for your, your dedication to the ways of Christ. Right? In chapter 2 and in chapter 4, Peter will speak that, speak that way. And what's important to remember there is that we are indeed building a reputation before the watching world. And that reputation, in one way or another, ends up reflecting upon Christ. We all know this, don't we? We know it from... Whenever in the news we see a prominent minister who is caught in some heinous sin and we say, oh, that will bring, that will bring opprobrium on the name of Christ. Nathan will say to David, because of this sin that you've committed with Bathsheba, you have given the enemies of God occasion to blaspheme. Beloved, we don't ever want to give the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme. As one who has worked in the, you know, in the construction industry on the, on the side of, of the laborer in the field and then the manager in the office, I can tell you that very often someone will, will wear their Christianity out here instead of here. You know what I mean? That we'll see it in their testimony, in their words, but we will not see it in their labor. We will not see it in their work. Beloved, speak your testimony with your good labor for Jesus' sake. Let that do the talking for you. 
And then when you're asked a reason for the hope that lies within you, speak freely. And you will have something from which to speak and reputation from which to speak. And you will bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. The tragedy here is that the sluggard has lost all of that. We don't want to lose that. Not as, not as, as those who, who present themselves as Christians to a dark and weary world. No, we want to maintain our testimony for Jesus' sake rather than against it. And then I was musing on this, and uh, I don't want to keep you too long today. We were over on the first service. But there are a couple of things that I wanted to close out this uh, close this out with. I wanted to talk with you first about examples of diligence in Scripture. Examples. The first one that always comes to my mind, perhaps it comes to your mind as well, is Joseph. Does Joseph come to your mind as an example of diligence? Well, if he doesn't, let me present him to you in that vein. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39, verse 1, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. What did Joseph do? He labored diligently. The Lord blessed that labor, and he rose to the top in Potiphar's house. Right? An example of diligence. Think about Joseph giving his testimony to, be, to being a worshiper of Jehovah, the Hebrew God, and how that must have... have uh, have resonated with Potiphar because he saw that labor. That's the kind of reputation. That's the kind of testimony we want to have and maintain, beloved. Children, as you grow up, learn to work hard and diligently. Learn that when you're done with the job that you've been given, that you look around for something else to do. That you find yourself busy in the service of the Lord and those who have sent you. We can see Joseph once again, can't we, in prison. We turn to verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the keeper, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did and the Lord made it to prosper. And then in Pharaoh's court in chapter 41, verses 46 and following, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh king of Egypt and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt and in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me forget all my toil in my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So once again, the prosperity of Joseph. And then the final bit of prosperity and diligence is as God's prophet. 
not only in the house of Potiphar, not only in the house of the prison, not only in the house of Pharaoh, but Joseph was profitable and useful as a prophet in God's house. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them so he profited as a prophet in God's house as well through his spiritual diligence the next man I think of is Abraham with regard to diligence we'll only look at one particular moment of Abraham's life begins in chapter 22 verse 1 it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham And said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Hineni. You know what the word Hineni means? It means, behold, I am here. Behold me. Literally, it means, behold me. But what it means is, I am here before you to do whatever you command. Hineni. Now watch. And God said, take now thy son, thine only son, whom... Thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Not the happiest of tasks. What does it say in verse 3? Abraham rose up early in the morning. You know what rising early is in Scripture, right? It's diligence and labor rather than sloth and indolence. Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Did you hear that? Abraham's labor before God was faithful labor It is full of faith. We'll go and we will return. He's already decided what's going to happen. That he's going to plunge the knife in Isaac's breast. And and then God's going to raise him from the dead. He's already decided that. Hebrews chapter 11 makes that clear. That that is what was in Abraham's mind. And so not only was his labor. Behold me. Not only did he rise up early in the morning. But it was full of faith in God's reward. And so he sent him on his way. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they both of them went together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Hineni, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself. A lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built the altar there. And laid the wood in order. And bound Isaac his son. And laid him on the altar in the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand. And he took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Hineni, here I am to do whatever you command. Just like before. Beloved, that's diligence. That's obedience. He rose early. He stuck to it. He made a plan. And then at the end, when the Lord turned him aside, it was only the word of the Lord that turned him aside. That's all. 
But I wanted to close out today in these last few moments that we have together with something beyond that. We might see David's early diligence in his life also, but I'll not take the time to go there because we're running short on time. But I did want to talk to you about the one who truly has been sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. If the sluggard is a smoke in the eyes and a vinegar to the teeth of those that send him, beloved, what was our Lord Jesus Christ to him that sent him? Just a cursory read through the Gospel of John answers that question, doesn't it? So let's, let's talk for a few minutes about that before we close. John chapter 5, verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. And they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth, but I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say, that ye might be saved." He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that, that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent... Him ye believe not. Jesus has been sent by his Father. But he was not in that same vein as the sluggard that was sent, as a smoke in the eyes and a vinegar to the teeth of the one who sent him. No, Jesus was sent and given the greatest work of all works which he fulfilled perfectly, beloved. He was sent on an errand. By his father. Go. And preach the coming of the kingdom of God. And give your life a ransom for many. And be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Give life to whomsoever you will. And judge whomsoever you will. Notice that is not one who is sent. That is a smoke in the eyes and a vinegar to the teeth. That is a trusted son. Let us labor, beloved, in all of our labors like Jesus labored for the one that sent him. He is our example. He is that sent one who is a, well, what, what will the Father say about him? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Does the Lord say that about you and your labor? About me and mine. Well these are points of self-examination. That we, that we ask the Lord to improve. And, and to strengthen our understanding. I trust that you don't want to be a smoke. In the eyes of your father in heaven. Nor a stench in his nostrils. Nor vinegar to his teeth. So beloved. 
Let us embrace the work that he has given us to do. So the son quickeneth, that is, he gives life to those whom he will. The son judges, the son seeks the will of him who sent him. The son works from the father. He has works from the father to finish. And he is about those things. In John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, we see that Christ is sent by the Father to do his will, namely, to save all that the Father has given him. This is a trusted apostle, a trusted sent one, right? In John 8, 29, Christ does all things that please the Father that sent him. In John 12, 49, Christ speaks the words that the Father has given him to speak. In John 4, 24, my meat, Jesus will say, is to do the will of him that sent me. Can we say that about our labors? John seven eighteen, he comes to speak not in his own interests, but in the interest of him that sent him. Christ represents his father as the one who sent him. Part of the reason the sluggard is like smoke and vinegar is because he loses that representation of the interests of the sender. Christ does not do that. He maintains the interests of his father in his coming and in his sending. In John 8.26, Christ speaks the message that he has heard from the father to speak. In John 8.29, Christ always does what pleases his Father. In John 9.4, Christ is a diligent worker. We must work while it is day, for night comes when no one can work. I must work these works today, Jesus says. He doesn't put them off, although they were the hardest work that any man has ever done. In John chapter 12, Christ fully represents the Father in teaching, in words, in works, and in all things. Verses 44 and 45. That he can say, uh, to the extent that he can say that to believe on him is to believe in the Father. This is the one who was sent that is our example, not the sluggard. He is the one who represents the interests of the sender. In John 13, 16 through 20, Christ reveals that he is under the Father's authority as mediator and so serves him with his strength. And so we see Jesus, the one sent by the Father, the servant of Isaiah who would submit himself to the one who would send him. Notice in Isaiah chapter 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. The bruised reed he shall not break. The smoking flax he shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. The isles. That's the end of the earth according to the Hebrew mindset. No, this servant is the one that we must model ourselves after. And by the way, Matthew 12, 18 quotes Isaiah 42, 1 and following, pertaining to Christ. So we have an inspired interpretation telling us that Isaiah 42 is written about Christ. Notice also in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 18. Hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that ye may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger that I sent. Who is blind as he that is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant. Seeing many things but thou observest not. Opening the ears but he heareth not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. What does it it mean when it says that Jesus is blind and deaf here as the servant of Jehovah? Simply this. That there is no other voice that influences him. 
No other sight that influences him. He is on a mission. His face is set like flint as if he, were, as if he had blinders over his eyes. He will not be distracted by turning to the right hand nor to the left. He will not be distracted in what he hears. He has heard his father's voice. He's on his father's mission. And so everything else to him is as it is blindness and deafness. He will not be turned aside from that mission. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. So you get the, the... the, the gist of what we're saying here. We want to present in, in this final portion of the sermon and for our use, the Lord Jesus Christ as the servant of servants. The servant of his father who went forth, who was sent forth from his father on a mission. And he never turned aside from it. He is the perfect example of diligence, of protecting the interests of the mission, of receiving the work with joy, of setting before him that work and executing that work in a way that is pleasing to the one who sent him. Beloved, work like that. Embrace your labor like that. Hear the example of Christ and ask the Lord to grant unto you that same kind of diligence to the one who sent you in every lawful endeavor, whether mediate or serving the Lord Christ, remember your testimony before the watching world as Christ remembered and presented his Father. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee for what we discussed earlier in this sermon today. We, we thank thee for lawful labor that thou hast put into our hands. Oh, Lord, help us to be cured of our allergy to lawful labor, especially in our day and in our country. And deliver us, we pray, from sloth and indolence. Deliver us, we pray, from distraction and being drawn aside, uh, seeing things with our eyes and hearing things with our ears and being drawn away from the mission that thou hast set us on in this world. Help us diligently, whether it's our eating, our drinking, whether it's our labor, and even in those times of necessary relaxation and rejuvenation, O Lord, we pray that we might bring them all to the feet of Christ. We thank Thee that our Lord Jesus Christ upon earth needed rest and took that rest when He needed it, that we might follow His example of that proper cadence of work, of labor, of worship, and of rest. And Lord, we pray that we might maintain our Christian testimony before the world in so doing. We ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.